What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Season Gaming Bitcast. This is Episode 7. I'll be your host, Ainsley Bowden, and I'm joined by Bert Sines, as usual. And today we're going to cover our standard format, so we're going to be talking about a whole lot of news, some developer updates, and then our main topic today is going to be kind of a discussion around uh, loot boxes and microtransactions and the, those that we're kind of seeing placed in every game, regardless of their content nowadays. So with that, I think we're going to jump right into the news, because honestly, we have a whole lot to talk about this week. So the, uh, the first thing we're going to touch on is uh, No Man's Sky. So No Man's Sky uh, obviously has a, uh, a large reputation around it uh, based on its launch and some of the promises that were made, which we've talked about before. But Update 1.3 called Atlas Rise is just released for yesterday, actually. And uh, it's a massive, massive update to the game. Um, it adds things like uh, another alien race, co-op kind of exploration, crash freighters on planets, uh, new farming and, and modeling tools, and just a, a whole lot that I couldn't even cover just in this quick segment. But uh, it's really interesting. I, uh, I bought the limited edition of No Man's Sky at launch, and I had some fun with it despite its shortcomings. And uh, it's just good to see Hello Games continuing to update the update uh, the game in this way. So I, I thought I'd mention that because uh, if you have No Man's Sky or you, you've never played it, um, it might be a good time to finally kind of jump in and check it out because there's enough content there now that, um, you know, I think they've made enough updates that it would be a lot of fun to play. So um, <clears throat> Fallout 4 is getting a Game of the Year edition. Uh, this is something we see kind of regularly now, it seems, with a lot of the major games. So um, this one caught a lot of, uh, a lot of discussion um, a couple days ago because... Not only are they releasing Game of the Year edition, they're re-releasing a special edition of it, um, which includes the Pip-Boy uh, kind of collector's piece, which, if you recall, was a limited edition when it first launched uh, a couple years ago. What was it? Uh, late 2015, I believe. And, um, and so collectors, kind of like myself, because I own one of the originals, are a little upset about this because it was supposed to be limited, and now here they are re-releasing it for, uh, for $99. So... Um, kind of rambled on there a bit, but Bert, what are your uh, what are your thoughts on this Fallout Four game of the year and them re-releasing the uh, <laughs> Collector's Edition? Yeah, so first of all, guys, sorry, I'm a little uh, I'm a little under the weather, so you'll hear a little bit of coughing and some weird voice this week. So um, bear with me on that. But I actually was one of the few people that, or not one of the few people, one of the many people that wasn't able to get their hands on the game, or not the the original Pip Boy Edition. Um, I tried to get it a few places retail, and I was too late to sign up for it on Amazon and all the order places online, so I wasn't able to get one. So the fact that I can get one now is good. However, it makes kind of the the entire exclusivity of the original one kind of annoying because they're even including the poster that was supposed to be a limited edition um, only for the uh, original one and they're including everything and DLC for it. So it, it is the one to get right now. And from what I understand, um, some of them are selling out already online. So um, kind of good and bad, I guess, for the collectors that are really diehard collectors from the beginning, not the best for them. For everybody else, it's kind of good, but it's still pretty annoying that we see Bethesda do this. They've done this in the past with other games, um, so I'm not really sure what to feel about it this time. How about you? Yeah, so I'm one of the people with Fallout 4. Uh, I love Fallout 3 to death, and uh, I've bought a whole bunch of stuff coming up to Fallout 4, um, including the limited edition loot box, um, the CE guide, and the CE itself. So, I mean, I pretty much bought everything you could for the game. Um, the funniest thing about this new one is that it comes with the Pip-Boy, but it comes with the poster, as you said. And that poster, if I recall correctly, was uh, part of the limited edition collector's guide. Um, so you kind of had to, previously, like me, you had to buy a couple different things to, to get all that content. But here it is again for $99 with, as you said, 
a better version of the game with all the DLC. So, I mean, early adopters always kind of get the get the shaft, if you will. But um, you know, this is uh, I more people having it is a good thing, but it definitely hurts the value of the people who jumped in early. Yeah, one other thing about this is that <laughs> you can buy the game, Game of the Year Edition, without the Pip-Boy, um, and it is going to be a full-price game at $60, which is another thing that's kind of a uh, hit or miss for me, because you can buy Fallout 4 by itself today for, I think, around $15 to $20. If you go to some of the used sites like Gamefly or buying it used at GameStop, things like that, it's under $20. So the fact that DLC is that much um, is kind of weird, but I have seen this happen with other games like Call of Duty Modern Warfare and Infinite Warfare and the cost of those. So if you are looking for it and you don't care about the, the, the box art and all that stuff, just buy the game and then download the DLC pass. So, Yeah, good point. Um, you know, the <laughs> before we move on Fallout 4, you know, I said I bought all that stuff. So I bought Collector's Edition, the guide, the, the loot box. I think I put 10 hours into Fallout 4. I think... Uh, I just got sick of it pretty quick for whatever reason, and uh, I think when Witcher came out at the same time and I got completely addicted to that, it kind of killed Fallout 4 for me. So it's kind of funny that I spent all that money and never even really played the game that much. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think I have a max of eight hours, and I've tried to play the game like three different times. It, to me, it was not enough of an improvement from Fallout 3 and New Vegas. It was just a new skin with the same engine and everything, so it was kind of dated. But maybe I'll try it for a fourth time. We'll see what happens here. <laughs> All right, a few other pieces of, uh, of good news. So Ukulele, um, I was a big supporter of that as a huge banjo fan, and that came out um, last year. Uh, received, you know, relatively good praise, uh, despite some kind of uh, issues, you know. So the biggest issues were around the camera. It had a camera that was more reminiscent of, like, the N64 era when, you know, there's been a lot of improvements since then, obviously. So, and a few other touch-ups, but it got a patch um, that came to consoles just uh, yesterday, the day before, and it gives you uh, full control over the camera. It updates some of the, the soundtrack and the way it's implemented, uh, fixes some of the dialogue issues and fast-forward options for the player. So kind of a, a nice usability update. So uh, I've downloaded that. I haven't tried it out myself, but uh, the response from players that I've seen on social media has been pretty good. So nice update for ukulele there. And then um, Hand of the Gods, uh, which is the Smite... It's called Smite Tactics, Hand of the Gods, but it's the uh, Smite-driven collectible card strategy game. It's kind of a mix between a, a collectible card game and a strategy game, and it's another game from Hi-Rez uh, Studios, so now they have Smite Paladins in this game. And um, it's finally coming to console, so it's been running on PC for a little while now. They're going to be running an alpha on console soon, both Xbox and PlayStation. So if uh, CCGs are your thing or you like Smite and you're a fan of what Hi-Rez does, uh, take a look um, at that. You can go to handofthegods.com and sign up for the alpha, I believe, and that should be coming soon if you want to get in on it. So just kind of an FYI for you there. A little bit of bigger news. So uh, Microsoft is testing out the new UI update for the Xbox. Uh, this is part of their internal, what they call their fluent design, which is uh, kind of a design methodology that they're moving across all their uh, Windows 10 apps or UWP apps. And... Um, the Alpha Insider, so if you're part of the Xbox Insider program, uh, the Alpha users, so the, the ones that preview things the, uh, first, have uh, had this since last week. And um, it's it's gotten a lot of feedback, some positive, some negative. 
there's some neat features in it, like being able to customize your home screen. So you kind of like if you play with certain friends or you play certain games or communities, you can kind of move things around manually and, and adjust them. So that's really neat. But it's also gotten some criticism for um, the main home screen uh, having a, a lack of usable space, having ads, you know, for like um, suggested friends or, or things you want to buy. So, um, you know, we'll see how that develops. They're obviously going to make some changes on it over the rest of the year, and this won't be out for normal users till late fall. So they've got some time, but um, I haven't seen it myself. I've seen it on the videos and the previews, but I haven't used it. Bird, I don't know if you've kind of looked up any of this stuff. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I've, I've seen the videos uh, for it, and it looks pretty cool. Um, I'm interested to see kind of what happens when it comes to, um, I guess you'd call it production or live Xbox Live. Um, I was part of the Insider program, but I didn't like some of the things that were changing on me, so I, I went back to not having that. But it looks really cool. I, I hope that it uh, does what it's kind of out to do. There's been a lot of changes to the UI in the past, what is it, almost four years coming up. Um, so... I don't know. I mean, it looks nice. I, I just hope they don't change things. It becomes a pain again um, to kind of do stuff. Every time there's a change to the UI, there tends to be a bit of a learning curve each time. So, But it looks cool. I mean, I, I always like enhancements and, and that kind of stuff. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad that's not my job, honestly, because <laughs> UI design, especially for something that's used by tens of millions of people, it's just a nightmare. No matter what you do, there's going to be a percentage of people that hate it. Um, mm -hmm. And especially with the amount of functionality they're trying to add, you know. Um, I heard someone say the other day, it's like, well, you know, if there's one thing the Switch got right, it's the UI. And I'm like, there's nothing in the Switch UI, you know. There's your game and there's no other features. Of course, it's easy to design. Right. You have a single box. <laughs> so uh, when you've got as many features as something like Xbox Live does nowadays, I can imagine that being a nightmare trying to design for everyone. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so Lawbreakers, Lawbreakers is um, kind of been in the news this week. It it launched. Uh, it's been on PC for a while in beta form. It launched on PlayStation Four. This is the new game from uh, Cliff Blazinski's studio, Bosky Productions. And um, it kind of got in the news for the, the wrong thing, honestly. Um, they were looking at basically Steam data for the game, and they found that it really quickly dropped to a very, very low player count. In fact, they were finding that it was averaging less than 1,000 concurrent players on Steam. And to kind of put that in perspective for you, Battleborn, which has kind of been taking the brunt of, uh, you know, taking the caught a lot of flack for uh, just being kind of ignored and not many people playing it. Kind of Overwatch took that took that away from it, if you will. And um, Battleborn averages something like twelve to 13,000 concurrent players, which is considered very low on Steam. You know, something like Battlegrounds is averaging like five and 600,000, to give you an example. But um, Lawbreakers this week dropped below 1,000 concurrent players on Steam, which is basically, you know, non-existent indie game territory. Um, so that's kind of worrisome, I would imagine, for uh, for Cliff and his studio. Um, in terms of reviews, the game's, the game's getting decent reviews, you know, seven and eights on average from what I've seen, kind of in the Metacritic and Open Critic range. But um, I haven't played it myself, so I don't really know what to think. But I know that um, there's been a lot of discussion this week around players kind of giving up on it really quickly. Yeah, there's a so Lawbreakers has kind of an interesting thing. It's in that arena of shooters to where that whole type of genre is flooded right now with games, and I'm kind of curious if that was the right direction for the studio to take because it's just another. I guess they've they've compared it to like um, Overwatch, like on steroids. The speed's really fast, and kind of what was the uh, what was the old shooter from back in the day that a lot of people really enjoyed? Um, Quake, Trials. Tribes. Oh. 
Tribe? Quick Tribes, yeah, yeah. So that that's another thing it's being um, compared to. So that's it's kind of interesting. But yeah, I've seen the reviews are kind of mediocre or slightly above mediocre. I don't want to say mediocre because that's just a, a whatever game. But the other interesting thing about it is the the technical aspect of it. So if you're playing on console, the base PS4 um, is not performing too well. Apparently, they're having some frame rate issues and some of the textures don't load in properly. And then if you're playing on PS4 Pro, the experience is a bit better, but it's still not where it is on PC. Apparently on PC, it's silky smooth if you have a nice machine, um, and that's where you're going to play it. And that's why Steam is kind of being targeted for the number of players, because there's really no one playing it. So I'm curious if it's going to be something that had to do with the marketing of the game. If you really don't follow games that much, and you're more of a casual gamer and looking for something, you really didn't hear a ton about Lawbreakers, um, as you did some of the other shooters in the past year. So I'm kind of curious if <clears throat> the marketing failed them and the game is pretty good. And, and to touch on that, uh, Battleborn is, by many people, has is said to be not a bad game. It's actually a pretty good game. Um, I think they had some issues with the cost um, when, when it first came out and if it was really worth that. And I think it's even gone free to play now. Is that is that correct for Battleborn? Yeah, it has, actually. Yeah, and it, it yeah. did see a boost in its player base for a short time. Yeah. I haven't looked at it lately. But I, I, I have it, and I've played it a bit. And, yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty fun. I, I It didn't really grab me in the same way. Um as you said, that genre is just so crowded right now, and I think Lawbreaker, Battleborn faced, uh, as you said, the cost, but it also came out at just a terrible time, right? Trying to compete with Overwatch yeah. when Overwatch said it had such a huge following was a bad idea, and they're, and they're different games, but um, many casuals, as you said, just didn't, they were only going to play one, and Overwatch became the one they played, so um, Lawbreakers came out, I think they were kind of going, he was trying to approach it from a more... Um, I don't know, uh, aggressive marketing stance. You know, this is what the, the, the badass game, if you will, and kind of more mature stuff. But it comes off kind of cheesy, if you ask me. Um, and I don't know if that's affected it as well. I, I don't know. but Yeah, I mean, and just if you're just a gamer, like I said, and I mean, how do you pick which shooter you want to play? And how many shooters will you play um, multiplayer only? So these games are more multiplayer focused. And if you're playing Overwatch and if you're playing your Battlefields or Call of Duties and then a new one enters the the, the ring, I guess you call it, um, you know, how do you choose that one over other games that you already kind of established or whatever? So it'd be, it'll be weird for developers in the near future to be like, wow, it's first of all, what's our release window for a game? And second of all, is this the right game to make right now? Or are the other games still have so much momentum that we're not going to be able to compete with them right off the bat? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's another one, too, uh, Gigantic, you know, just kind of officially released on uh, Windows and, and Xbox, and that's free to play. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to it because I actually had a lot of fun with that one, probably more than these other shooters. Um, it, it offers some unique um, designs, you know, in the way that the combat happens and a match happens. And uh, it's a lot of fun. The art style is really unique. So if you are looking for a shooter like that to play that's, you know, free to play and try, I definitely give Gigantic a shout out there. <clears throat> All right, so let's move on. The um, We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, sure enough, the day came yesterday, and that is the Night Trap 25th Anniversary Edition that Limited Run Games was doing. Uh, yesterday was the day that um, you could pre-order it, and sure enough, as expected, uh, both the normal PlayStation 4 Edition and the Collector's Edition uh, sold out in mere minutes. Um, they did a second run yesterday evening for the remainder, and those sold out as well. Uh, so, Bert, you and I uh, kind of touched on this earlier. We were both kind of ready at the computer yesterday, and I think we both got lucky, right? Uh, we got a copy of each. Yeah, um, and I was pretty excited about it because if you follow them on Twitter, 
um, you have a lot of people that just aren't lucky um, or they were five minutes late or just even a minute late to get in and get that all taken care of. So I'm pretty excited to get it. I think they're the official release dates, the 15th, um, and they do say in their order confirmation that they will try to have it out as soon as possible, which is, I think they said between eight and 10 business days to you. So we'll, we'll probably be showing that off to you guys <laughs> when we get it. Um, but if you really want one, there's still PC versions available, I believe. If you really want the box art, they have the t-shirts available still, which is also limited. They're only going to have those for a few more days. Um, and then there's also the anniversary edition Blu-ray, which is just kind of talks about the game and, and what went into making it. So I'm not sure how much you care about Night Trap, but this might be something that you might want to pick up. Yeah, I think uh, so. As we said, I got one copy of each, so I think I've got to keep the collector's one as kind of a you know a collector's piece. But uh, I probably get to open the normal PS4 one and play it with my wife uh, just for a laugh, because uh, like we talked about before, I never actually played it. I've seen it running, but um, I just want to kind of laugh at how ridiculous it is, um, which I think will be a good time. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm I'm opening up the PS4 version and going to keep the collector's edition sealed and on display. So. Um... We'll see how it goes. It should be corny as can be, but it'll be funny. <laughs> so uh, another thing on Microsoft, we probably should have touched on this with the UI, but uh, they announced uh, Mike Yabar, the head of Xbox Live Programming, announced just yesterday. They were talking about the new avatars, which are coming later this year, but he also uh, mentioned something interesting, and that was that they are looking at fundamental, and that's the word he used, so fundamental changes to the Xbox Live achievements. Um, so achievements have been around since 2005 on the Xbox 360 when that launched, and they've you know they've kind of undergone a bunch of changes over the years, but nothing uh, fundamental or drastic. And um, you know here we are. It sounds like doesn't sound like it was that long ago that achievements came into our lives on games, but it's been uh, over 12 years now, almost 12 years. So they said they're looking at fundamental changes. What that means, we don't know, but they they did mention that they're going to be looking at ways for players to showcase their achievements better. Um, and there's probably a lot that could be done that we haven't even really thought about, right? Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they come up with, because I, I would agree, achievements, while I enjoy getting them, there's nothing really too new or interesting about them nowadays, you know? So it'd be cool if they can uh, figure out a way to make those interesting again. Yeah, I think that'll be fun, too. I mean, you have your... Um, I mean, Microsoft and Sony do it different, right? So, I mean, it's it's a little... I, I'm not sure. I, I, I've spent more of my gaming on Xbox One and uh, Xbox 360, so my gamer score is really high, and I think that's fun to have. But as far as, like, what it brings to the game, it's really... There's a lot of conversation about it being a negative because then you have people just grinding to get, I don't know, like, tapes in a game or something. And But sometimes, every blue moon, sometimes there's an achievement that it really expands on the game because you find out a secret about the lore of the game or something, and those are fun. But it'll be interesting to see what they mean by fundamental. Um, we'll see. We're, we're both... We used to be big achievement hunters, but uh, not so much anymore. Uh, at least I'm not, so... Yeah, no, I mean, I go for them on certain games, like I've said, but uh, I don't go out of my way to spend hours getting getting ones on games I'm not really caring for, so. Uh, short piece of news here, but really good news, and that's that Titanfall 2 and Battlefield 1 are both now available for free in the EA Access or Origin Access vault. So if you're a member of those programs on PC or Xbox One, you can uh, now go download Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2, two excellent games with just a wealth of content. Uh, Titan, we've touched on these games before, so real quick, Titanfall 2, great campaign, excellent multiplayer, Battlefield 1, pretty much the same thing, cool, uh, you know, perspective on World War One, and, and obviously a huge multiplayer with expansions still coming for both, so, um, you know, if you're a member and you haven't played those games, uh, get out there. 
So uh, moving over to Nintendo, uh, special edition 3DS XL coming to celebrate the return of Metroid. So Samus Returns is coming out soon, and they're uh, creating a a uh, special edition um, 3DS XL, like I said, a red with uh, Samus on the front of it. We have it on our site if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, I, w I did find this a little odd um, because they're retailing it for $199, and it doesn't come with the game. Um, so, you know, the new Nintendo 2DS just came out, which may be the final iteration of the of the DS we see, who knows. Um, but that's retailing for $150, and that's the redesigned model and everything. So it, I found it kind of strange that this one, they're pricing at $200 with, uh, without the game itself that they're kind of celebrating. Uh, I think that's kind of pricey, if you ask me. It's it's Nintendo, man. Uh, <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> strikes again. They they always have some weird things that they they kind of do, and yeah, that the biggest surprise for me was is that there's no game included, and you just get a nicer paint job, and then also that it's the 3DS XL, which Nintendo is slowly phasing out and kind of leaving it just to the 2DS to become their new handheld way. So um, I'm sure people are gonna eat it up. People are gonna go buy it, and they're gonna have another. Uh, 3DS Excel or just a, a 2DS Excel to add to their collection. Um, I know there's tons of people that just collect these consoles and they have stacks of them. So we'll see. I mean, maybe they'll do something for their fan base and be like, oh, if you bought one, here's a coupon code to the game when it comes out. Um, but I, I don't know. Uh, I'll be buying one. <laughs> um, <laughs> the people that do buy one, congrats, I guess. But um, it's kind of a kind of weird for me. Yeah, I think it looks great, right? I think it's a good idea. I think it looks great. But if you're going to charge 200 as you said, for hardware that they're phasing out, um, at least include the game or make it 150 or, or do something for fans in that in that sense. You know, I heard someone online compare it to the, um, the customized consoles like the PlayStations and Xbox. And I said, well, you know, I own a bunch of those. But when you buy one of those, for instance, you're actually getting a better deal, uh, usually anyway. So, you know, like the <clears throat> the Gears of War 4 Xbox One S, for instance, you paid 100 more for it, but you got an extra one and a half terabytes of hard drive space. You got the ultimate edition of Gears 4. So if you added it all up, it actually saved you money, um, along with the custom console and a custom controller. You know, So um, I just don't know why they're charging 200 for it. It seems excessive. But like you said, yeah, if... Sorry, uh, sorry I was just say, like you said, if... Uh, for Metroid fans, it's cool. And um, if, you, if you like collecting those special 3DSs, then I think it's a neat thing. Yeah, and the, the only thing I was going to mention is that that is, that is roughly the normal price for the 3DS XL. Um, but what the N Nintendo usually does is they like to include um, a game with it, something bubbled in, um, whether it be built in or coming with the actual cart. Um, they're usually around that price between 200 and 250 if it's another uh, crazy thing. But kind of to your point earlier, the 2DS is kind of their main system that's going to be the selling point. And that's, I guess it's known as kind of a bargain bin because they don't use the same uh, 3D technology in it. But it's still a pricey, uh, you know, for a handheld with, with PS4 and Xbox One prices dropping to around $200 for the original launch versions. It's really hard to justify a little handheld with such you know, weak power when it comes to that stuff. But it's Nintendo. Um, I, that's all I can say. It's Nintendo. It's Nintendo. People buy it. So uh, for Honor, which we seem to mention a lot lately, but um, just touching on this, so Season 3 started. So if you remember last time, we talked about their roadmap for uh, the new seasons, the new heroes, the new uh, dedicated servers, and all those changes they're going to make over the course of the next year. Well, Season 3 launched, and that uh, brought two new heroes, which are the, um, I'm forgetting right now, the Gladiator for the Knights, and the Highlander for the Vikings, and includes a few new maps, includes a new ranked mode, uh, includes legendary gear. So again, 
a lot of cool updates to the game. I'm still a fan of it. Um, but um, another neat thing they're doing is uh, they released this uh, Season 3 this week, and then this weekend, if you go on PlayStation 4 or Xbox, it's actually free-to-play weekend. So you can download the full version of For Honor and uh, try it out. So if you're one of those people that's been on the sidelines and haven't really played it and have been wanting to... Uh, Go and do that because um, it it is a neat game and you may uh, you might you may find yourself enjoying it. Yeah, one thing I want to mention about those free to play weekends is it is the complete game, including achievements and anything, including saves. So if you um if you end up uh, uh, downloading it and then it goes inactive Monday or Tuesday whenever that happens, and then you buy the actual game, your saves will still be there via the cloud save. So that's kind of one of the neat things about the free to play weekends for this game or other games in the past. So you do get the full install file. Yep. So, uh, Code and Exiles, uh, it's an MMO that's, um, you know, been running again on uh, PC for a while now in, in kind of beta form. Their new big expansion to the game um, comes out August 16th, so in just a few days here. And it's also the launch date for the Xbox version of the game as well. So, um, if you, you know, looking for a new MMO to try out, just be aware that that's coming this week. And then one of the funnier points about this game is if... Uh, <laughs> So a couple months ago, uh, it kind of caught some. Uh, it got put in the mainstream media for having a uh, sliders around male genitalia, and uh, some of the nudity options in the game. Um, so the developer confirmed that in Europe, the console version will be getting the full nudity. So you'll be able to do everything you can on the PC version, but in the US, we're only going to be getting partial nudity. So no, uh, no, I don't know the words I'm looking for here, but no uh, genitalia sliders for us here in the U.S. So, that may <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is Australia even getting the game? I know they're really big on on that kind of stuff. I bet you they don't even get the game. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't look that up. Um, I, yeah. I, from what I've heard, they've kind of gotten a little more lax over the past few years. But I, if they do get it, I would imagine they'd probably be with the U.S. and uh, kind of limiting the, uh, the dong ability of the game. <laughs> <laughs> dong availability. <laughs> Uh, as long as they don't do that thing that uh, was it Watchdogs <laughs> that had like the female genitalia on like a like a stripper or something that was on a I don't yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah so they actually uh, yeah they coded like full female genitalia underneath the clothing that you weren't supposed to be able to see but of course people found a way to do that so yeah yeah that's not what you want um, <laughs> so moving on um, Horizon Zero Dawn one of the forerunners for game of the year here at SG for both Bird and I um, Probably the forerunner, right? I think between the two of us, um, yep. <clears throat> the Frozen well, Wild. You, you, you had prey. So. I do, I do, but I think if you combine both our opinions, right, that would be yeah. up there. So, um, Frozen Wilds expansion is uh, coming. We mentioned that last time, but it now has a date and price, so that's going to be nineteen ninety nine. And I believe, because I actually looked at it on my PS four the other day, I believe that PS Plus members can pre order it for fourteen ninety nine. Right, so 25% off. So, I mean, if you're a big fan of Horizon, you might as well just go ahead and pre order that if you're a Plus member because $14.99 um, sounds like a good deal. It's coming though on November 7th, and if that date sounds familiar, that's because that is the launch date for the Xbox One X. So, it uh, you know, it definitely looks to me like PlayStation or Sony, I should say, um, probably thought it was a good idea to release an expansion for probably their biggest new IP of the year on the same day that Xbox One X launches. I mean, if I were Sony, I'd do the same thing. Um, but for fans like us that kind of buy everything, that that's kind of a shame because, you know, I'm going to be kind of fascinated with the Xbox One X. I want to play Crackdown and, you know, try all the games on the new hardware, right? And meanwhile, it's going to be 
this new uh, expansion for Horizon, a game I love that I want to play. So I'm really going to be lacking time, I think, come uh, that first week in November. Yeah, um, Frozen Wells I'll definitely be picking up. I'm not sure if I'm going to play it that weekend. I think I'll be kind of enamored with uh, Xbox One X at that point, but um, I'll definitely be playing the DLC. It looks it looks great. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see. They said there's going to be new uh, um, new robots to fight too, which are the design of those I just love. So uh, it'd be cool to see. So a few more pieces to follow up on here. So Squarey 65 and Hidetaka Suhiro, I hope I pronounced that properly. Um, he's kind of one of those outspoken Japanese developers famous for Deadly Premonition, a game that came out last generation and um, really causes divisive opinions when you speak to people. Um, sadly, I always wanted to play it. I never did. Um, but it's kind of one of those cult classics. Um, and I think... Uh, you know, I think he kind of got famous for that game. And then he released a game on the Xbox One called Dark Dreams Don't Die D4, uh, which didn't catch as much press, but again, is kind of looked at as, uh, you know, one of those very, very unique experiences. Well, he has not really commented on anything in a few years. In fact, he left his previous uh, development company and kind of uh, took a just a sabbatical, if you will. But he just announced uh, yesterday, funny enough, that he's going to be at PAX West this year. Uh, with his new development company named White Owls, and he's going to be talking about his new project. So uh, no really clues or hints as to what that is yet, but um, for fans of those kind of unique games, uh, that may be something to be aware of, so we should know more soon. And then, uh, you know, talking about PAX West, uh, the the main big game show that's coming up here in, in just a week or two is uh, Gamescom. So Gamescom, I think, taking place August 22nd to 26th, if my memory serves. Uh, a couple big announcements for Gamescom. So first, um, EA announced that Star Wars Battlefront 2 is going to be there, which isn't really a surprise, but that they're going to be highlighting the space battles. Um, and they're going to be showing those Monday evening. Let me check my time for you guys. So that's going to be Monday evening, August 21st, or morning, I'm sorry, August 21st at 9.30 a.m. Pacific on EA.com. So if you want to see, get kind of get the first look at uh, what the space battles are going to um, look like, then uh, be sure to do that. That's August 21st at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time. And then the other big piece of news is that uh, in an Xbox trailer for Gamescom um, that showed kind of the whole boost setup and how it's going to look, there is a pub, um, PUBG or Battlegrounds booth. So this kind of uh, alludes to the fact that we're going to see Battlegrounds running on an Xbox or Xbox One X at Gamescom as well. And Microsoft did say they had some surprises for us. So I'm assuming that's one of the big things they're going to be highlighting. So two big pieces of, uh, of news there for Gamescom. Yeah, I'm curious if the pre-order for Xbox One X is going to be coming around that week or even that day uh, when, they, when Xbox releases their news. So we'll see. I have a feeling it's going to come around that time. Yeah, and I, I hope not, because I will not be here. So um, <laughs> I'll be out of the country, so I won't be able to go to my local store. So I'm going to have to try to work out something for that. All right, so that was uh, the core news. And um, like we said, we had a lot to cover. But we're going to talk about a few developer updates, as we like to do. Um, the first big one is that Ubisoft, or Ubisoft is opening a new studio in Sweden. So this is going to be led by Patrick Bach. Patrick Bach is uh, one of the guys who led some of the EA DICE team and franchise, franchises like Battlefield. Um, so he's going to be head of this new Ubisoft studio in Sweden working with Massive Entertainment. So Massive Entertainment made um, The Division. 
and they're going to be working together and kind of growing that studio over the next two years to what they said is over 100 people so a pretty decent sized studio and working on uh, new projects including the ubisoft avatar game so avatar the movie sequels kind of got delayed and uh, i'm kind of assuming that uh they're working in coordination with um with James Cameron and, and the filmmaking process to make sure that game it probably comes out around the same time as a licensed product. So that'll be interesting to see develop. And then uh, the other piece that I know, Bert, you'll probably have some comments on is uh, Electronic Arts uh, mentioned that Motive, who is uh, one of the three teams working on Battlefront 2, and uh, Bioware Montreal, the team responsible for uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, are merging. So they're going to merge into a single studio, and they haven't really given a lot of detail about this, but the uh, with the two announcements that um, they're going to be focusing on the Star Wars IP more heavily, and that there's not going to be any single-player DLC for Andromeda, it just kind of you know makes logical sense to assume that um, these, these guys are coming together and going to be working and focusing purely on Star Wars going forward. Yeah, that's kind of some sad news. I mean, I, I feel like we've been talking about Andromeda for the last few bitcasts, but this will probably be the the end of it, um, unfortunately. Um, you know, Jordan and I and, and Ainsley are all big Mass Effect fans, and we were, um, Jordan and I both played through Andromeda, and Ains is kind of taking a break on it and putting everything <laughs> ironed out. Um, but it it was a great game. It had some issues, um, and I think it caught a lot of flack for it. And the funny thing is now I see on YouTube a lot of people saying, were we too hard on Andromeda when it launched? Have, did reviewers, you know, butcher it, you know, farther than they needed to? Um, looking back at the game now and people that have actually played through it, um, you know, is, is that was, were, were the scores right, in other words? Um, and with uh, the merging of the studios, it, it's kind of a, an interesting thing because uh, a lot of the staff actually left um, from Bioware Montreal. Um, and then if they wanted to keep their job, they were able to merge with EA Motive. And so um, there's still the slight absolute 0 .01111 chance that there will be DLC uh, for Andromeda, but they've pretty much closed the door to that. There's only one studio left that'll pretty much do it. That's Bioware Austin. And from what I understand, they have focused most of their attention to Anthem. So it's not looking good. I think, uh, unfortunately, we're going to get probably another um, a complete restart to the Mass Effect series. We'll probably see it in five to six years if they even do that. Um, it's rather unfortunate because Andromeda was left with a ton of kind of cliffhangers left, in, uh, left at the end. Um, and there were a lot of people were hoping for DLC because of one of those cliffhangers. So I guess we're not going to see it. Um, we can kind of leave it at that. I, you know, I, I hope the staff over there are able to kind of enjoy what they're doing and the people that left the, the, the studio uh, find another place. So it's always kind of sad when these things happen. But guess what? We get more Star Wars games. Um, <laughs> that's what I've been waiting for forever, more Star Wars games. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned that, uh, so on Andromeda, and I've taken my shots at Andromeda, as I've said, but no, I think you're right. I think that, um, you know, as seems to happen with social media and just the internet around the games industry nowadays, is that if there's something in a big release that can be nitpicked upon, um, sadly it is, and then, you know, people just kind of pile on, and I think that happened with Andromeda maybe, um, you know, or sh too harsh, right? It shouldn't, it shouldn't have happened in that sense, but... Um, it is a sad, it is kind of sad though. I mean, I have nothing against Star Wars. I'm big on Battlefront 2, looking forward to it. But I, I am starting to see this trend, you know, in uh, in games that we've seen in movies, right? Where everything's going to be all the major blockbuster funding going towards Star Wars or license IPs. We've got Marvel games coming now. We've got Avatar games coming. And it's like, that's, 
to me, that's disappointing. You know, I, I really prefer um, game franchises to be unique. And, uh, you know, they have things like Halo and Uncharted and Gears and stuff. But I, I want to see Anthem looks fantastic. You know, I want to see more stuff like that. I'd much rather see another IP in the vein of Anthem or, or even Destiny, you know, just something unique rather than just seeing a Star Wars game every year. You know what I mean? So that'll be disappointing if the game industry goes that route, in my opinion. All right, so um, Bert, I don't know if you had anything here. Uh, normally, at this point in the in the big house, we talk about rumors or, or things that kind of spread across the industry over the past week or two that um, were later found out to be false or just you know misinformation that was being spread. We usually like to clear any of that up, but I can't really think of anything that was uh, kind of spreading across uh, social media over the past week or two. You got anything? No, it's it's been a slow week for fake news and rumors. Um, so <laughs> well, well, in the video game yeah. industry, anyway. Hey, hey, hey. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I agree. There hasn't been any big bombshells come out. There hasn't been any games that were rumored to have release dates and ended up being completely different. There hasn't been much of that going on right now. Um, but we will update you guys if we see anything via Twitter or something. There hasn't been anything too too crazy. So that's good news for us. Not bad. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's move on. So let's talk about uh, new releases and what we've been playing. So I'll run through these new releases, and then uh, you can kind of comment on the, on the ones you uh, you want to there, Bert. So... Um, couple big games, right? So we had uh, Hellblade, Senua's Sacrifice on the PlayStation 4, and I'll, I'll be talking uh, at length about that one as I've already uh, finished it and platinumed it. And that's gotten a, a strong critical re um, review kind of across the board. It's running at an 83 on Open Critic, which, you know, is not absolutely stellar, but it's definitely come in strong. Uh, Tacoma released. So that's the game that's been uh, working on for a long time from the Gone Home development staff. And that released on Xbox One, and that's gotten pretty good reviews as well, coming at 78 on Open Critic, as strong reviews. The Long Dark, which we touched on, and we'll talk more about as well, because I'm currently playing that. Uh, again, 77, strong reviews across the board on that one. Lawbreakers, which we, we touched on in terms of the player base already, so I'm not sure we need to say too much more about that one. Uh, the Season 2 of the Batman Telltale series, The Enemy Within, uh, so Episode 1 of that is out. Again, coming in in the same kind of range and strong, high 70s or so, low 8s. And then the Mega Man Legacy Collection 2 came out too, so some of those kind of old school, hardcore Mega Man games, the second collection of those, I believe it's either four, I think it's four games in that one. So um, what do you think on, on these? What are you playing? What are your thoughts on these new releases, Bert? Yeah, so Hellblade is one that I will be picking up as soon as I get to it. Um, it is digital only, so obviously I'm not going to download it right away and then have it just sit there. But um, I've been hearing nothing but amazing stuff about it. I, I do know that a lot of people are, are kind of giving it a lower score because it's a short game, but that was the developer's intention. So um, it also it's not also uh, it is also not a full price game. Um, for that being said, now full price is I guess relative, but it's not a $59.99 game. So you are going in um, and hopefully you have the right experience with it. Um, it's it's supposed to be beautiful. Um, if you have a great sound system, it's supposed to be great uh, for that because of the way the voices work in, in the main character's head. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'll probably be playing it within the next couple weeks. Um, Tacoma, which is kind of a, a cool game um, from an, kind of the experience that you get. A lot of people have either liked it or didn't like it. So um, I have not played that one yet. I've only seen reviews for it and kind of watched some developer interviews, and it looks really cool. Uh, we're both playing The Long Dark, and um, we'll, we'll be posting more impressions about that later because we are going to be doing an official review for it. Um, so that, that'll be kind of hit and miss. It's really going to depend on what kind of a gamer you are. 
So um, if, if you love it, so it has a huge following on the PC base, but now that it's on console, it'll be kind of cool. And um, the last one I'll touch on is the Batman Telltale series. I, I didn't love the first one. Um, it wasn't bad. Um, however, it wasn't amazing. I, I think there's so many Batman stories these days that it's really hard to make an amazing Batman story. And um, this one is just, it's the, the, the game design is great, but the story just doesn't capture me that much. I'll pick it up probably when this goes on sale in the near future, as most does most Telltale games do. Um, they go on sale pretty good. Um, you can grab the whole season for like 10 bucks sometimes, so I'll probably wait for that. Yeah, and, and and as we've seen, right, most of their episode ones go free to try and get you to buy the season. So you'd probably be able to play that one in the near future for free anyway. Um, so me, I've been playing, uh, so going back to Hellblade. So I uh, I pre-ordered it because I've been following that development for a long time. Uh, it also came with a really cool dynamic theme for the PS4, which I wanted. Um, as you said, um, it is gorgeous. I'm playing it in on PS4 Pro on my OLED TV, so kind of you know maximum visuals there. And you you actually do on the PS4 Pro have the option of running it in uh, at 60 frames or 30 frames. So if you run it at 60 frames, it's 1080p native. If you run it at 30 frames, it's 4K, but it's checkerboarded. I think the native is 1800p. Um, but you can definitely tell the difference. Uh, when I first kind of got into the game, I switched between the two and kind of tested it out. And you can definitely see the resolution increase when you go to 30. But with the uh, because it's mostly walking, it's a ton of walking in that game. Um, and then some of the combat is, uh, is I'll touch on, but it's kind of similar. Honestly, it's going to sound weird, but the, it felt most similar to Rise, the Xbox One launch game, in a number of facets, which I found kind of funny. Um, but I, I actually ran it at the 1080p with 60 frames. I just felt that was better. But it um, it's really interesting. I finished it already. I platinumed it. Um, the visuals are spectacular. The sound direction with the voices and the voices in your head and the way they designed the game so that the voices are actually a critical part of the game. It's not just there for ambiance. It's They will tell you things you should be doing. They'll like If someone's going to hit you from behind in combat, they'll say, watch out or behind you. Um, and there's just all kinds of, it adds to the story, uh, with the way the voices are. And it, it's a very dark game. It gets into some really, um, some depths of, uh, you know, what people with psychosis go through. And I think that's kind of important to talk about. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be writing a review on it, so I won't kind of keep rambling here, but I, I really did enjoy it. I thought it was really well done. It's very unique. Um, I do have some complaints about it. Uh, I think that the combat is uh, shallow and predictable. The enemy design is shallow and predictable. And uh, some of the battles towards the end of the game were just frustrating and, again, kind of poorly designed. Um, I wouldn't, as you said, I wouldn't uh, critique the game for being short. They advertised it as a, you know, five to seven hour experience for $29.99, and it was that for me. Um, so I thought that was fine, especially for twenty nine ninety nine. But um, like I said, I'm going to write a review on it, and uh, I'll kind of go into more more depth, obviously there. But yeah, I think you should definitely play it. Um, sorry to ramble a little bit there, but I'm um, still playing a lot of Fortnite, still enjoying it. Um, a lot of people kind of are either loving it or leaving it, uh, depending on your thoughts around the progression system in the game. I don't have huge complaints with it. I see where they can make some improvements, so hopefully they will in the future. Um, but I'm still having a ball playing that. And then the Long Dark, as you said, I'm still playing. I was actually playing a little bit earlier this morning. Um, 
I, I'm enjoying it. It's it's a very unique game, uh, as you said, survival genre. So and it, and it takes that to a higher level than most games do. So you really have to kind of be in the mood to play it because it, it takes focus and you have to really focus on what you're doing because um, one mistake can really set you back. But uh, I am enjoying it. I think it's really neat and um, it's really well designed. So that's what I've been playing for the most part. Yeah, I actually went back and I made the mistake of reading your article about Last of Us. Um, and in doing that, I went back and played it again on PS4. So I have played that game through three times. I played it twice on PS3. I bought the remaster edition on PS4 with the intention of playing it in the near future. But um, I just wanted to get through it again. And I played it on the harder difficulty to kind of get the most out of the game at that point. And man, that is that's probably my favorite game of all time. Um, it, it's a must play. Um, just experiencing those moments again after not doing it in a long time is something really good. Um, so I, I just finished that last night, actually. Um, so that was kind of a, something I wanted to get, make sure I knocked out this weekend. Um, also playing Fortnite when, when we can from a social aspect, probably on there tonight. Um, and so those are the, the kind of the bigger games that I'm playing. Um, I did play a bit of Nintendo stuff this past week. I had some friends over and still doing our Mario Kart on Switch nights and stuff. So that, that's a lot of fun. So, um, But it has been a busy week with work, so I haven't had a, a chance to game as much. But that's all I'm playing right now. Nice. Yeah, and I obviously echo your sentiments on Last of Us. I, I could talk about that game near endlessly. It's it's that good. So I hope, um, you know, if Sony, I don't think they've formally announced a PSX later this year yet, but uh, assuming they do PSX, uh, I'd be interested to see if we see a little more from it. But I know that uh, Neil Druckmann and uh, Naughty Dog have said that they are uh, fully focused on Uncharted, Lost Legacy, launching soon. So I would imagine where it's Last of Us 2 is still probably a little ways off. But anyway... All right, so um, let's move on to our main topic we're going to be covering today. And then we were just going to provide some of our thoughts and some discussion around loot boxes and microtransactions in games. Uh, microtransactions have been a, a kind of topic, you know, for a number of years now. But we're starting to see this loot box model um, kind of pop up in more and more games. Uh, at first, it was more driven around multiplayer components and cosmetics. But now it's it's just seemingly appearing in nearly every game, including on single-player experiences too. So, um, it's there's been a lot of discussion around it, you know, around kind of the cost to make games nowadays, especially AAA games, and a lot of games not making their funding back, and development studios, you know, kind of being in trouble, and uh, you know, they're looking at games that have been successful with the loot box model and. Uh, how much they're making off of just selling loot boxes, even if only five or ten percent of the player by player base, excuse me, buys them. Um, you know, they could be spending tens and even hundreds of dollars, and that equals to you know when you add that up compared to game sales, that equals to you know hundreds of thousands of extra copies that you know would have been sold just by uh, providing these loot boxes, which are very easy for development studios to build, right? Um, because you build the progression into the game, and then if you just allow people to get that in other ways, it's it's easy to code and uh, kind of a big ROI for developers. So this uh, this kind of hit the the mainstream on social media this past week because uh, Shadow of War, the upcoming follow up to the Lord of Rings game that's coming in October, announced that they are going to have loot boxes and microtransactions in the game. It's a full single player experience. And presumably that's going to offer things like XP boosts and ways to kind of advance in the game without having to play or put in the same time um, as another player who didn't buy them. 
So I figured we'd kind of touch on all aspects of this. You know, um, we're seeing them in every game, like I said, or near a, a ton of games. Um, Overwatch, Smite, Gears of War, Halo, um, Uncharted, you know, all these major IPs. So let's start at the very top. Um, what are your thoughts about them in general, Burn, in terms of, you know, just offering these things as a, as a way to either get bonuses in the game or to progress faster in games? So I have a, a bit more of a casual opinion about the whole thing and um, also a hardcore opinion about it at the same time. So my casual opinion about it is if it's something that's in the game um, and users um, simply want to get a nicer gun or something or they want a, a better outfit for their main character of the game, that's fine. I really don't care as long as the developer is not limiting the number of basic stuff that you can get from playing the game. So if it's something extra, maybe uh, Gears of War did this with like some of their branding in the game where you could get some stuff from the artists that made games or the musicians and stuff. I think that was kind of fun. But when it affects the... Um, the I guess the competitive nature of the game from an online perspective or where you're playing other people I have a huge problem with microtransactions there because then you can get stuff out of loot boxes or something like weapons that are hard to get other ways or maybe you have someone that's trying really hard to get one of the weapons by leveling up and leveling up and then someone comes in and spends 99 cents on that and it's good to go it becomes an issue uh, one of the areas that really bothered me from a hardcore perspective and that's um, from the Batman Arkham games back in the past because um, when you first buy the game, if you pre-ordered somewhere like a Best Buy or a GameStop, you were able to get an additional Batman outfit or something. Um, but then um, that was the limited edition pre-order thing. But within a few months, you were already able to uh, get the additional bonus for a cost. Um, so doing that entire pre-order was kind of worthless. So it becomes kind of a, a negative for me in that sense. And I have huge issues with it there because if you're a big fan of a specific game, um, and there's something that you pre-order somewhere and that's the whole point of pre-ordering for you And then someone comes in and just buys it a month later becomes an issue. So I'm hit and miss with it um, I think microtransactions are going to be a big issue in the near future um, For games and people are going to stay away from them If it's a free-to-play game and you're paying microtransaction costs to get entirely different things I am a hundred percent fun with that I think in the future we'll be seeing a lot more of that where if you get the base game for free and then additional things like guns and stuff like I was talking about before becomes something that might be good. Smite does it pretty well um, for, from what I've seen. So um, I could talk all day about it, but um, that's my basic um, opinion about it so far. I know some people despise them though. So Yeah, so let's um, from a multi, let's talk about uh, multiplayer, which is where you traditionally saw them, right? So give uh, an example of um, Halo 5. So Halo 5 implemented rec packs, right? And uh, they said that every all the download content would be free for the game, but they supported rec packs, which gave you uh, items that you could use in the Warzone mode. So they separated, I think they smartly separated the arena and the competitive sense of Halo, which were set and very much like old school Halo. Whereas they had this larger kind of everyone jump in and go crazy mode in Warzone, and that's where the rec packs came into play. And they also, of course, put in armor customization and helmets and things like that, that you could get through the rec packs. So, um, you would also earn them in the game pretty quickly. Um, so I think I think from an implementation standpoint, items like that, um, I don't really have a problem with. Um, one thing like, so look at Overwatch as an example. So Overwatch has loot boxes, but they have, you know, what people really want in Overwatch are the skins and the legendary skins in particular, right? But 
getting them is rare unless you play a ton of overwatch um you know you you get a loot box once in a while every several matches but there's so many other things that you can get in the loot boxes that your odds of getting a legendary skin or getting one of those rare skins is pretty low in fact i think i have I think I put 25, 30 hours into Overwatch, if I recall, and I've gotten extra loot boxes from being like a Twitch member and all these other things, and I've got one legendary skin. Um, so it just kind of goes to show that, you know, there's people online who have just opened hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get those skins. Now, at the same time, um, that doesn't affect the gameplay, right? So you're not giving any progression or anything. It's just skins, and that's kind of what Smite does as well. It doesn't really affect... Um, doesn't really affect if you want some goofy skins or something um, you can go ahead and get those if you want to spend the money to get them but I think um, where I get a little kind of weirded out is with progression so you were mentioning things like um, you know where people can just kind of come in and automatically be where somewhere else has played for 30 40 50 hours uh, battlefield has done this right so like you can get after a few months, they offer these like advanced packs where you can spend five or ten dollars and suddenly you're like a max level assault or you're a max level medic. Uh, whereas someone like uh, who plays it regularly would have spent 20, 30 hours to get there. I don't I'm not really a big fan of that. I, I especially if it unlocks different equipment and things that you had to work for to get. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I just I don't know why that's necessary. I obviously get the funding aspect of it, but I just think it's kind of it's kind of a disservice to the people who are willing to put the time into your game and really play it consistently, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that 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 in general, the the player base is kind of the other conversation. So, I mean, how to how to keep people interested in games and they're grinding their way to another weapon or something, and then they, like you said, spent 40, 50 hours, and someone comes in and they get it already just by buying it. So, I, I mean, that's gonna really upset a lot of people. Um, and it does today. So I, I'm really hit and miss on it. I, I don't really know what to think. I've never come to think of it. I've never paid for a microtransaction in order to advance my person's level in whatever game that it is. And I know people that have, they're willingly going to do that just to get the, the greatest class in order to be able to use a certain weapon. You mentioned battlefield. So you can only use certain weapons when you reach a certain class in those specific, um, kits and stuff. So I don't know. I mean, um, it's kind of unfortunate to taking that shortcut and paying for the shortcut. Um, I, I guess that happens in the real world too, outside of gaming. So I, I wonder if that's just the natural progression to gaming in general. Um, I don't know. It's, it's unfortunate though. Yeah. I think, uh, I think we may be in a time period here where companies are realizing the financial benefit of it. They're trying to, to obviously make more money on their games. So where they're going to be trying all these different systems to implement them. So I, my hope is that in a few years time, we'll have systems that make sense for both companies and players. And, um, you know, this age here where they're being implemented in all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different games will be looked upon as exploratory, you know, um, hopefully we'll see. So single player games like Shadow of War, for instance, saying that they're gonna have loot boxes and be able to get XP boosts and advanced things. Again, I'm kind of torn on that because my, my, the positive aspect I would say is that it's single player. So nothing you do, if you want to spend $500 on loot boxes and shadow of war, it doesn't affect me at all. Right. You can do whatever you want. And if you want to get a max level character 10 minutes into the game and, and beat the game in an hour, I'm just being, you know, just for an example sake here. Um, that's fine. It doesn't impact me. But at the same time, I worry that when they do things like this, they're making the progression for people who just want to play the game. You know, 
say that you're playing the game and, and you're progressing really slowly and it's taking forever to get to a level that you need to advance in the story or something like that. Um, you know, what's frequently referred to as a paywall and free to play games. That that's my concern because in the back of your head, you have to be thinking, you know, if they didn't have these loot boxes where you could gain a faster XP progression, maybe this would take me five hours instead of 10 or 15. And did they design it like this on purpose to try and encourage people to buy the XP boost because they know people aren't going to want to spend 10, 20, 30 hours doing this. And that's, that's really where my concern comes in on the single player aspect. Yeah, for, for the basic AAA game um, that is full price and they have some additional things you can buy, like, like I said, costumes, things like that, I, I really don't care. If you want to pay for that, and like you said, $500, $200, whatever, to get the max everything. I mentioned Batman, so if you want Batman to have all his outfits and then Robin have all his outfits and whatever other characters they have, that's fine. Go do that. But um, it's you know if you want to pay for that, do that. What I, what I worry about as well is if developers start just creating getting lazier on games um, and just doing like an addictive thing where you can just add microtransactions into a game and then they continue to do that. Kind of like, um, I guess, the, the mobile industry these days, like your Candy Crushes or the crazy one that was your favorite game last year, Pokemon Go. Um, <laughs> you know, those those are all microtransactioned funded. Um, they're free to download and you play those and it's just an addictive over and over thing that you do. And I hope that doesn't start making it into the mainstream AAA games that you actually pay for ahead of time to where developers just get lazy and make a whatever game. So you have like your bigger studios now making just addictive games because they can make millions and even billions sometimes on them. Um, so I, I hope we don't go that route for single player and, and even multiplayer games. But um, I mean, money's money, right? So um, what, what do people want to, what do developers want to make from their game? Yeah. And I, you know, I have to, your point about kind of mobile game um, design coming into home games, I think that's some of the flack that Fortnite's getting because it's got some of those uh, design methodologies around, um, you know, the, the mobile games there where you have to kind of grind for certain things. And if you don't, uh, you won't advance unless you have the opportunity to buy extra, extra packs. So, or loot llamas in this case. Uh, on the free-to-play standpoint, I want to give a quick shout out to a company I think more than maybe any other does it well and this is what i love to see and that's uh grinding gear games with path of exile so i kind of touched on this on last big cast but they are free to play it's a massive arpg uh with just a ton of content that's being added to continually in fact like we said they just had their biggest update ever um and they from day one have had microtransactions only for cosmetics so as you said if you want to make your guy look a certain way if you want to have a certain pet if you want to have you know just a crazy amount of storage space or anything like that um you're welcome to do that and they frequently add to it with all kinds of cool things but there is not a single microtransaction in that game that gives you any loot that gives you any advantage gives you any xp boost nothing like that uh and i think that's the way to do it and they've they've shown that it can be successful right so i don't see why um i don't see why other companies can't do the same unless they either have poor game design or they're just uh you know greedy right i mean companies want to make millions and if not millions tens of millions if not tens of millions hundreds of millions so as you mentioned pokemon go you know it's game almost had no content and yet it's made billions of dollars uh, the fastest game ever to make a billion dollars so it's kind of crazy in that in that realm um you know i was trying to think of any other examples on this topic i guess uh, the only other point i heard which i thought was interesting 
recently in a discussion I was listening to was um, in terms of single player and having loot boxes, something like Shadow of War again, is that there's so many games coming out now that are a games as service. So if you look at Destiny or all these games that have a long tail on them, Rainbow Six Siege, For Honor, games that just get better and better, you know, over uh, over a number of years where that player base kind of sticks with it and will continue to put time and money into it. Those games have the capability of, you know, launching well, um, but then just making money for years on end. You know, it used to be that a game would make like 80% of its money, 90% of its money at launch, and then it would tail off. But nowadays we're seeing these games for service where they uh, they make money for years to come. So with a single player experience, how do you capitalize on that same type of uh, business model? And you can't really, right? So the thought process is, well, from a single player perspective, um, maybe loot boxes is the answer because they'll gain additional funding that way. And the unique thing about it is when people buy used games, like you know, you and I both do, um, used games don't give any money back to the developer, right? If you go and buy a used game off eBay or GameStop or wherever you get your used games from. But if you log into a game a year from now, buy it used, developer makes nothing, but say you're playing it and then you buy a few loot boxes. Well, it's another way the developer can kind of recoup some of that development costs on the game. Uh, without you having bought it at launch or having bought it at retail um, or digitally. So it's uh, that's another interesting kind of aspect to discuss as well is, you know, maybe that's a way where it helps uh, developers recoup some of the costs they not necessarily lose, but don't get when uh, people buy used games. Yeah, I, I remember I remember seeing things like that too for, um, was it Ubisoft that did it to where if you bought a game used, you had to buy like an online pass or something, and then they did away with that? Yeah, that um, didn't last long at all. That was a horrible idea. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, to your point, um, uh, I guess I understand that side of it. You know, if someone's buying a used game or Craigslist, uh, eBay, uh, GameStop, whatever, it's kind of crazy GameStop's made billions just based on other people trading in a game. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting, um, to see how it goes. I, I try to support developers as much as I can. I actually end up sometimes buying a game twice cause I'll trade it in somewhere or sell it used and then buy it cheap at, you know, down the line when the game is worth nothing just to have the physical copy of it. So I don't know. We'll see Developers are trying to get as creative as possible. Some things are working, some things are not. Um, and I think we'll continue to see some creativity here well with that kind of stuff. So we'll see. And just uh, one last point, one last question for you, because I saw this popped up yesterday, too, on, on social media, on some accounts, is the question raised, so games have been $60 for a long time now. Uh, that was obviously, you know, I, I remember when it went from 50 to 60 as you likely do, too. Um, but that's been a long time now, and development costs have kind of skyrocketed. So the, the question was posed, do you like these uh, kind of single-player loot box microtransaction models, or would you be willing to pay um, $70? For games instead where they did not contain any microtransactions they kind of went back to the old style where everything was just in the game and you earned it that way what would your preference be um i think the second one there i think that that, that works better for me in, in that realm um i think the cost benefit there is a lot better for that for me at least how about you when you say the second one you mean the 70 dollar yeah, yeah. For, for okay, me, yeah. seventy dollars. I I don't mind paying that ever. Um, I've actually done that with a lot of our recent games. Yeah, I mean, no, I'm in the same boat. I, you know, we buy so many collectors editions and special editions at seventy dollars for for a game, especially with the discounts you can get at Amazon and Best Buy and other places nowadays. Um, I wouldn't mind that if it supports the developers more and it means more more games and, and more content without having to worry about microtransactions or grinding. Yeah, I'd certainly pay an extra ten bucks a game. That wouldn't bother me at all. 
So yeah, I think I think we've done that with a lot of the collector's editions recently, like your Injustices, um, Forza. Um, trying to think of other games that we do that with, where they come kind of bundled and discounted, and then the developer gets it right at the front, and then they can provide some content throughout there. So kind of weird. Yeah. All right, so that's uh, we'll move on from that. I just thought it would be a neat discussion point because it seems to be a, a big discussion point for a lot of people right now, especially when we're coming into the fall with Shadow of War. Uh, Battlefront 2 is going to have crates as well, and I'm sure many other games that we see this fall. So, All right, let's move on to uh, another section we'd like to do here, and that's talk about our, our collectibles. So um, as we mentioned seemingly every time, and I shouldn't keep repeating, but we, we both like uh, collecting a lot of video game memorabilia. So, uh, Bart, what do you got uh, this cast? Yeah, so um, I've been doing some fun unboxings recently. Um, I'm not going to take those down, but I was able to pick up, I think you can kind of see them right here, the Battlefield 1 Collector's Edition. Um, I got really discounted. And then up here, I finally picked up the Halo uh, 5 Guardians uh, Collector's Edition recently. And then uh, last two weekends ago, I, I did go to the um, Austin Retro Gaming uh, Expo, and I picked up a couple fun posters. So I did get Master Chief, which was... That's, that's the one you're sending to me, right? Uh, uh, yes, yes, this is the one. Um, and I need to get a frame for it. Um, it it's, it's really cool. I was able to meet the artist and everything, and um, he did sign at the bottom here, so it's kind of a neat thing, and, and they are limited. And then on the back, this is from your favorite anime, uh, One Punch Man. Um, if you haven't seen this and you're into anime whatsoever, uh, this is probably my favorite anime at the moment. So seeing this guy up close, um, <laughs> not up close, seeing this guy at the expo, <laughs> Uh, was really cool because I hadn't seen a lot of uh, stuff here in the States for, for him. So it's been kind of a collectible gathering recently at my house. So um, that's what I got. How about you? What do you got this week? Yeah, I was going to say, when you send me uh, Master Chief, just remove One Punch Man. You don't. He doesn't need to come. He's a waste of time. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, I was going to talk about a, uh, a print I got here. You can kind of see it behind me. So this is from Horizon Zero Dawn. And um, it's a company called Cook and Becker. I like to highlight companies that we get some of these collectibles from. And I've been asked previously where I get a few of my kind of higher grade or higher quality prints from. I have one from the original Fantasy Star, which actually kind of uh, caught fire on social media when I posted something last week. But this one's from Cook and Becker. I think it's cnb.com. They are... Um, they're kind of a collectible uh, print company that do, uh, they work directly with the developer on licensed products, but they're much higher quality prints. They're not posters. Um, so they will, they're a little more expensive. They will run you, you know, anywhere from 80 to $150, depending on what you're, you're buying. But this is, uh, they have a range of Horizon Zero Dawn prints, and I really like this one. Very limited. They only made 50 of them. So I wanted to pick it up. Um, this is uh, actually number three of 50. And it's got a uh, embossed uh, Gorilla Games logo here, which you can't see. And uh, it's just uh, Aloy fighting a sawtooth out of the snow. And then with every print with Kuckenbecker, because I have a few, they actually, uh, I don't know if you can see this, but they actually send an envelope. And um, inside the envelope, <clears throat> if I can get it open here, they give you a certificate of authenticity um, signed by the master printer and uh, with the Gorilla Games print and uh, the date it was made and how many there are and it's just, uh, it's really high quality and, and really nice. So if you're into video game prints or collectibles and you're looking for something a little higher grade than your standard uh, poster, definitely check them out. Again, that's Cook and Becker. Um, but as you can see, here's one. And I think I've shown before my uh, Fantasy Star and I've got a, a Triss print from Witcher 3 as well. Really, really good quality stuff. So I highly recommend them. 
All right, so uh, that's our uh, season collectible. So let's move on to one of our favorite segments here. And I don't think Bert's going to be in the singing mode today, given the cold. But <laughs> we'll move over to season reflections, where we we kind of highlight uh, some of the classic games we love and whether they're still playable. So what do you got for us this time? Yeah, so I'm jumping back to last generation, and I'm talking about a game called Folklore. So this was uh, 2007, I believe, this released, um, and it was exclusive to PS3. Um, this game was really cool because you, I'm not going to ruin too much of the story, but there's a death in someone's, uh, a, a relative of one of the characters, and you can play as a male or a female based on who, who you choose, um, and they take you to the story, and it's called Folklore because there's these uh, little uh, folks, I guess you call them, and you can, you kind of beat them during combat, and then you kind of absorb them into your inventory, and then you use them to fight the rest of the game in that way. It has kind of an eerie um, type of uh, feeling when you play it, but the colors are amazing in it. The gameplay is a lot of fun. Uh, the story is really cool. It was one of my favorite games that was kind of a smaller uh, game like that. Um, and I, is it still playable today? I, I, I do believe so if you're into playing some older games. Um, I know a lot of people only like playing the most cutting-edge games, and they don't really care to go back to last generation. But I did find Folklore is one of my favorite games from that generation, um, and it was extremely unique. And the story is great, and it does a great job telling a story. So once again, Folklore is for the PS3. Um, I'm not too sure where you can play this. I, I believe it is available on PS Now, um, but I, I have to look it up. And it was not available on any handheld. So if you're a handheld player, it did not come out to you. But Folklore, try it, PS3. Um, it's pretty easy to find for the most part, but they are getting harder and harder to find. It ranges around 25 to 30 bucks still um, for the PS3. So how about you? What are you, what are you doing for reflection? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Um, yeah, so I'm going way back. Uh, I kind of went too new last week, so uh, a definite classic for the guys uh, like us who grew up with the NES, and that is uh, River City Ransom. So <laughs> this was uh, this was a big game. Uh, it's still remembered fondly by a lot of people who played uh, during the NES era, and uh, I just love this game. It was uh, a beat 'em up that you could actually play with two players, and what made it kind of fun is that it had some really light level RPG elements. You could kind of um, go around this town and and uh, play your normal beat 'em up, but you could also um, kind of unlock new skills and you would buy uh, buy food and do all these other kind of goofy things which are more typical of the Japanese style games. So this came out on the NES, I want to say, I haven't looked it up, sadly I want to say 89 maybe, it was a little later in the NES era. Um, it, <clears throat> it was uh, I think later available on the virtual console on the Nintendo Wii U, I think you can play it, but it, it's been kind of hard to kind of get a, a new version of it nowadays. Um, there's been a lot of games that copied it over the years, but uh, that was the, the original like that. Uh, so it kind of took those double dragon elements, but added some uh, some depth to it, which I, which I thought was a lot of fun, and it was just hilarious to play. So um, that is my game this week. Uh, still playable today? Um, I think so. If, if you're a retro gamer, you like playing those old games, it's still funny and fun to just go back with a buddy and, and play through it. It's, it's, it's hilarious, so. Yeah, that was a, actually a fun game, and one of the, the interesting things about it is the way it was advertised in the States versus Japan. So if you look at the cart and the cover art in Japan, it's very cartoony. Um, it's got like an anime feel to it and very bubbly uh, type cover. But then when you look at like the one you had for your NES cart, it's more of a mature, um, like, you know, 80s movie type uh, front cover thing. So um, 
kind of different. Obviously, uh, the different crowds will will go for different types of cover art, but that was such a great game back in the day. I, I do remember this one also came out on a Game Boy Advance um, type card as well, to where you could play it. So, was it? Uh, do you know if it was a? Uh, was it the same game, or was it like kind of a, a new version they tried to create of it? It was the exact same uh, game actually on Game Boy Advance. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, the the that's when the Game Boy had color at that point, so you, yeah. you the color came at that point, so that was a lot of fun. And I I just checked because I remember seeing it on Virtua Console, and yes, it was available for the Wii Virtua Console in two thousand seven, is what I'm reading here. And then the Wii U came out in October of twenty fifteen. So if you have any of those consoles and want to go back and check it out, it is available on there. Yeah, or if you know the Switch ever gets the damn virtual console, <laughs> yeah. so. Um, we won't get into that again, but uh, yeah, I I don't actually have an active NES right now, so I can't even plug it in and play it. Um, I've been trying to hunt down a top loader, but man, the prices on those have gone through the roof. So uh, anyway, all right, so uh, that's uh, that's our big cast for this week or this uh, biweekly session. So in closing, um, you know, Bert mentioned some of the collectibles he's gotten recently. Um, so he's been putting up a few unboxings. So you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Bert, but you covered the Battlefield 1 Collector's Edition, the Halo 5 Collector's Edition. Um, I don't know if you have that one up yet. You had some issues with your Halo 5 Collector's Edition, right? Um, but you yeah. also covered the SCUF, um, the SCUF uh, Elite Controller upgrade as well, right? Yeah, so this, uh, if you have a Elite controller for the Xbox One, um, there's some good grips that you can get for it. I did an unboxing of that, and um, a lot of people are looking into that. Um, and you may not have any issues with your Elite controller, so that may be something that doesn't affect you at all. But if you do, um, for the handle, that's a great upgrade. And I don't think I'm going to be uploading the Halo 5 Guardians <laughs> unboxing. <laughs> we had some we had some technical issues with uh, Master Chief in, in, the, uh, in the unboxing. And... Um, it's more of a comical thing at this point. But yeah, I don't think I'll be uploading that one. Plus, that game's been out for almost two years now. So I don't really see a lot of people looking for that unboxing, and there, there are plenty to be found online. But the Battlefield one's fun. Um, and then we also did uh, some controller comparisons for the Nintendo uh, stuff recently. So if you have a pro controller that came out of the Wii, Wii U, or Switch, we do a comparison on how those three compare to each other, what they include and what they don't. We actually had that from a viewer from YouTube as a request, and that is uploaded as well. So those are some um, neat videos that you can kind of watch. Yeah, so we should be able to look forward to some of the uh, Halo 5 clips in our upcoming blooper reel, can we not? <laughs> that actually may happen, yes. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, so we've got some reviews that are going to be coming down the line, too. So like I said, I'm going to be reviewing Hellblade, so uh, hopefully get to that this week. And um, I have already touched on Fortnite. I put my impressions up on the site if you're interested in kind of hearing about that game kind of spreading. Uh, you can find my impressions on the site on that. I was going to do a full review, but that game is changing so much. Um, they're already updating it, and they've already announced an expansion that's coming in late October, early September. Um, so I don't know if a review is going to make a whole lot of sense. I may just continue to expand upon my impressions of that game as it develops. So we'll see there. And then, as Burr mentioned earlier, we're going to touch on the long dark as well once we get some more time with it. That's one of those that um, is a unique experience to each player and kind of can be played for a long period of time. So we didn't just want to put a review up on day one without really kind of getting a sense of what it's about. So that'll be coming down the line. Uh, next week, we're going to be recording a new uh, Season Gaming Conversation with Jordan Simmons. So look for that maybe next weekend. And then um, we're also going to be doing some giveaways. So we like to talk about classic games or, or games from prior generation a lot. So 
we're kind of developing right now how we're going to do that, but uh, look for that on Twitter. Um, like we always say, you can find Season Gaming on Twitter. Um, Season Gaming, I'm Porsche Power. Bert is Treb M3. So um, keep an eye out there because we're going to be uh, doing giving away some of the uh, best games of last generation and doing some uh, kind of things things with our account there to keep an eye on. Uh, anything else you want to touch on, Bert, before we close out? No, I think that's good. Um, again, I apologize about the cold, guys. I was on mute a little bit here just from coughing up a lung. So, um, but thanks for listening. And uh, make sure to like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're watching any of the audios, um, make sure to rate us if you can. Appreciate it. Yeah, as always, greatly appreciate it, everyone. Thanks. Take care. We'll talk to you soon.